Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome back in, everybody. It is the Believe in Patriots podcast. It's our holiday special here on the Believe Podcast Network. The Patriots are 6-8. and eight. They're officially out of the playoffs for the first time since 2008. Somehow we're going to figure out how to make light of it and have a good time anyways here is a couple days before Santa comes down the chimney. So uh, Aaron Wells is our producer. You can find him on Twitter. I'm Brady Farkas at WDEV Radio Brady. Doug Flutie is our quarterback, our Hall of Famer, our Heisman Trophy winner, and our former Pats quarterback on two separate tenures. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Doug Flutie. As always, the podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. I should have put my money where my mouth is this week because I knew Cleveland was going to cover the minus six number against Colt McCoy and the Giants. I didn't put actual money on it, but in my own head, I got rich from it because I knew it was going to happen. I predicted it on my radio show. I should have put it down. You should put it down this time. Don't do what I did and be a schmuck and forget. So betonline.ag is the place you need to go. Betonline.ag. Do it safely. Do it responsibly. You all bought gifts for your kids, your wives, your husbands, your girlfriends, whoever's listening. You're all broke now. Make the money back responsibly. Betonline.ag. Aaron to the podcast. Aaron's trying to play the intro, but evidently it won't play. So here's what I'll do. I'll just welcome you into the podcast. Here's Doug Flutie. Doug, welcome back in. As co- as always, how are you? I'm doing all right. Having fun. Hanging out. Good. Pats are Pats are eliminated officially, so we're going to break it all down. I got a couple things I want to start with you, though. As we're taping this, we're taping this right now, 8 o'clock on Monday night. The Pro Bowl rosters just came out. Patriots Got three Pro Bowlers' names. Stephon Gilmore is one. He's not going to play because he's hurt. We'll get into that. Jake Bailey, the punter. Matthew Slater on special teams. We, we the fans, hate the Pro Bowl. We look at the Pro Bowl as a joke. We don't want to watch it. It's not good football. But you played and made a Pro Bowl after a long trek back to the NFL. I have to ask, do you look at the Pro Bowl differently than we, the fans, do? It's different now, for sure. I When I went, it was uh, the 98 season. And it was a big deal to me. It was huge. I was excited. I wanted to play. I want to play a game anyway. I want to compete. And yeah. I, I get on the beach. All the guys are out back at the hotel. And I'm like, let's pick up a ball and throw it around. Grab a frisbee. They just want to hang out. They want to go to Hawaii, hang out. They like the honor of the Pro Bowl. They really don't want to have to play a game. I was like a little kid in the candy shop. I wanted to go. You know, I got all these great athletes around. Let's go play a game. Um, now, then I went. When I was with NBC, one of the first things I did was cover the Pro Bowl. Mm. And it was a few years later, and the very first play was a handoff. And the two lines stood up and leaned against each other, and the back kind of covered up and bumped into the back of his offensive line, <laughs> and nobody tackled him. And he didn't know what to do. And he stand looking, and then he just dropped. And it was like, are you kidding me? This is what the Pro Bowl has become. It became two-hand touch. And it was back in the day, it was, it was even when I played around. So, late 90s, it started to happen that transition 
of the Pro Bowls started to happen. And then somewhere in the early 2000s, people started bailing on the Pro Bowl and not going, and then alternates would go in. Guys make the Pro Bowl that were like the seventh string Pro Bowl vote from the AFC, but they go because three or four guys pass it up. So it's, it's, it's taken on a whole different look now. I used to watch the Pro Bowl. I used to like it when it was AFC versus NFC, not this whole captain's thing and not fan. You know, I liked it when it was AFC, NFC at Aloha Stadium in Honolulu. Yes. I would watch it every year. I haven't watched it with any kind of seriousness in probably a decade. Um, did you do fun things outside of the actual game? You know, they used to have beach volleyball. That's where Robert Edwards hurt himself, the old Patriots running back. But like, they used to do a bunch of other things around the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I mean, we did. I I did. I was looking to do everything and anything, but I was kind of with the group at the time that all that stuff started getting weaned out. It's mm. it slowed down. So there weren't a lot of those type of activities. But when I was doing the game with NBC, the pro surfers were in town for the Yeti, which is the big wave competition. And um, they were waiting for the waves to pick up and weren't going to do it yet. And NBC said, well, it would be great if we could get some of the pro surfers to teach the NFL guys how to surf. So they're looking for volunteers. So uh, Tony Gonzalez, Drew Brees, and myself went. Huh. And the very first wave I ever caught and stood up, I had uh, Kelly Slater pushing me in, like out there on his board, pushing me into waves and uh, learning to catch waves and, and ride. And the very first wave I curled, I nosedived. The, the board goes into the, into the water. I fall off the front. The board shoots back at Kelly. He blocks it with his board and cracks his board in half. Oh, my God. What's so I more almost killed the world's greatest surfer. What's more terrifying, being at the bottom of a of a pile for a fumble or losing your footing on a board and then having these tidal waves just crash down upon you? Uh, more can happen. Well, it's very dangerous. <laughs> big, big wave surfing is really dangerous. I haven't gotten to that yet, but I've been in some big, heavy surf. Not crazy. Um, that is I've, – I've been held down. We were in um, – Costa Rica in, at Hermosa, a place called Hermosa, where it gets big barreling waves. And uh, they were maybe what we call double overhead. We yeah, probably a 10-foot face uh, on the wave, 10 to 12, and they were heavy waves. And I, I got held under a couple of times for 10 seconds, 15. And it's a as long as you don't panic, if you just relax, let it happen, let it clear, come up, get your breath. You, you, the problem is 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 you know, the, if you panic and you get in panic mode, you're trying to fight it to get up. You're going to get held down. Just relax. Go with it for a few seconds and then come up. And then do you find the board easily? Like now I'm worried. Not only am I worried about dying from drowning, <laughs> if I do make it up, I'm like, where's the board? And trying to figure board, out how I can do this. The, the board, uh, I'm not in big enough waves that I wouldn't go without a leash. I have a leash. Okay. So the board's attached and you pull it back and all that. But I've had, I've been in big enough surf that you break the leash and you're 200 yards offshore. And now you got to swim in, grab your board, paddle back out. That's, um, I had two leashes break in a matter of about a half hour and had to make the swim twice. And I was beat. Well, I will. We'll get into the Patriots here in a minute. But since the Patriots, since the Pats are out of it, let's get real weird here on this holiday special. I saw a story the other day. I have to run by you. So there's this guy who lives in Scotland, right? And he met a girl on an island near Scot near Scotland. He met her doing work. They started dating. He was there for a month. He goes back to Scotland. 
he can't come back to the island where she's from because of COVID. They just won't let him in the you know in that part of the country. So he buys a jet ski and jet skis across the Irish Channel to get to her. He thinks it's going to take 40 minutes. It takes him five hours. He doesn't know how to swim. It's choppy water, and he almost runs out of gas. But he gets there, and then they go out of the town. They booze it up, and then he gets arrested the next day and thrown in coronavirus jail for breaking uh, (laughs) coronavirus protocol. He's got two kids back in Scotland that now he can't see when Santa Claus comes down the chimney. So I bring this all up because it's a great story. But two, um, Doug, what is the craziest thing that you have ever done for love? Uh, For love? (laughs) Well, I think that's what this was, was love, I think. (laughs) Yes. Um, Probably the the driving through the snowstorms to get the heck out of Buffalo and get home for the weekend with six feet of snow on the ground and on your weekend off and stuff like that that, to visit each other. When when I was in Buffalo, Laurie and I were – Dougie had just gotten diagnosed with autism, was back in Boston. We were spending time apart. So, um, you, I mean, I've made the drive and then stay up all night driving back to get to yeah. meetings on a Wednesday morning. So you'd spend that extra day at home um, and go go a day of practice with no sleep, stuff like that. That, that was the most frustrating. This story is truly amazing to me on so many levels. He buys the jet ski, doesn't know how to swim, and goes five hours in choppy water. And this is Scotland and the Irish Channel in December. The water is 50 degrees. So here's the problem. If it's clear sailing, if it's decent conditions, you can cruise across, right? I've got jet skis. I live down off the ocean. Guys I know jet ski out to the Bahamas all the time. Oh, my God. All right. So here's the problem. You get out here and you get to the Gulf Stream, it can get churned up. And all of a sudden, instead of going 45, 50 miles an hour and cruising, you're fighting the chop at three miles an hour, eating up gas. So you always bring extra gas tanks. You all, you may not need them. You probably won't need them. But if you hit choppy conditions, it's miserable. And you're talking there, cold water, cold conditions, doesn't know how to swim. The first thing when you said it was taking him or he hit choppy conditions, I'm thinking he's going to run out of gas. He's going to drown because you're going to get cat when you run out of gas and you're sitting there, then you're going to capsize because you're going to get bounced around and can't fight through it. And number two, he doesn't know how to swim. The other thing I I kind of buried one of the other good parts of the story. So he gets there, right? And then he walks 14 miles to this girl's house. So I, I, is he he ditches the jet ski on shore apparently just leaves the jet ski then walks 14 miles like she couldn't even pick him up i don't know if he surprised her and she doesn't know he's coming but i think rather than surprise her at this point i'd rather have her pick me up than me walk yeah but a 14 probably, mile walks like three hours she probably thought he drowned because he, if, <laughs> if he did contact her it was going to take me an hour to get over there instead it's five hours then he's doing the one that's a commitment that's pretty awesome I love it. I, I love the story. And I pat the guy on the back, although the stupidity of it is the, the jet ski is an ID card for who you are and where you're coming from. And you need to register these vehicles when you come into town. And, and, yeah, and, and now he's in COVID jail. So COVID this jail. guy, this guy, I don't know, a movie should be written about him. Oh, this is the movie. Um, you know, the other thing is I kind of transitioned back to football. One of my favorite things to ask former players especially former quarterbacks is at the holidays what's the best thing you ever got your offensive line 
Oh, geez. You know what I really, um, when I was in San Diego, I bought them suits hmm. and had Taylor come in and measure all the guys for suits. And it, it, that was, that was kind of a cool one. Um, and I, you know, what was weird was in the eighties, it wasn't that big a deal to do that type of stuff. The money wasn't what it is today and all that, yeah. but you might buy nice little gifts for every, for, for the guys or whatever. But then it became, when I came back in the nineties, late nineties, it was kind of a, you better be buying your guys some stuff. And, and one of the first big gifts, and it was like a, they were like a thousand dollars a shot for, uh, uh, the, the DVD players. Yeah. You know, when DVD, when portable DVD players first came out, I mean, now you can go buy one for 14 bucks somewhere. Right. Yeah. But, um, we all, they were just, and it, you can buy, by the gift, you can tell the era and the time. But my favorite was when we were in San Diego, getting the guys suits and, and getting them all measured up. I, I think I bought myself the flash when I, I did it as well. I ended up buying one for myself from the guy and bought the flashiest suit I've ever bought for myself. And I never wear it because of it. <laughs> Do you, where's the line of demarcation? Is it all the linemen, even if the guys didn't play very much? Is it the backup running back and not like, or just the starter? Like, where's the line? Yeah, here? it's a tough line to draw. Um, usually it's all your offensive linemen. Um, it was see, and today it's probably everybody on the offense, you know, yeah. these things keep getting bigger and bigger. So I, I've been out for 15 years, so it might've gone to even a whole nother level. Um, and then I bought for the guys I was close with on, yeah, you know, the guys that, um, maybe I hung out with off the field a little more and that we were, we were actually really close as besides the, the football aspect of it. Um, so a handful of guys, it wasn't necessarily a positional thing as the relationship with the individual players. Do you think offensive linemen, like, are they expecting it to the point oh. where they're judging you negatively? You I, know, I you... think it goes on now for sure. For sure. Now I think it's like, okay, what is it? You know, is it a Rolex? Is it a, you know, is it a, is it a Walkman back in my day? <laughs> or is it a Rolex? <laughs> is it a suit? Is it, let's go bump it up, bump it up. Cause I mean, starting quarterback money, in the eighties was under a million dollars for sure. You know, it was probably 500, 700,000. Um, and then now you're looking at guys that are making 20 million in a year or whatever it is, 18 million. Uh, the, the, the bar gets set a little higher. I also wonder what it would be like if you got, you know, you clearly you go to the effort, but what if the lineman doesn't like your gift? Like, all right, all right thank a suit. Like, thanks for nothing. Like, that's tough. Trying well, that's tough waters trying to figure you out. You better, you better act. You know what? No matter what you bought, they better act like they like it. I, <laughs> I, that's the, these people that return gifts, and you know who you are, <laughs> Rachel. The Rachel Greens from Friends. The yes. Rachel Greens of the world that return all their gifts. Well, you want me to have something I like? No, <laughs> I want you to appreciate the fact that I made an effort and got you something. Exactly, I agree yes. with that. Um, does it change based on how the season went? Like, hey, dude, we went three and thirteen, and I got sacked forty-seven <laughs> times. Like, you're not getting the nice suit. See, this I wasn't a partier, um, so I, I never drank and all that. So the games that, especially, I remember doing this in Buffalo when it, we had games where I didn't get sacked at all. We went with zero sacks. I'd leave something in their stockings in, in their locker every week. You know. Uh, Sometimes it was just cash, but go, guys, go get, go get messed up. Go have a good time. Go, <laughs> I, you know, 
And, um, you know, so it was always something for, for the no sack games. Um, you know, a lot of times that's the fact that you got a guy like Tua back there running around in circles and making everybody miss. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, you know, you got rid of it. didn't count as a sack. You, uh, you, oh, back in the day, too, if you got sacked and fumbled, it didn't count as a sack. Oh, wow. Fumble. So the offensive lineman didn't mind it so much after the game that you happened to fumble after that. Defensive lineman. Hey, I remember Bruce Smith. I was playing for the Patriots in the late 80s. I rolled him. I was like, we were throwing a Hail Mary at the end of the half. And I had rolled to the right and set up, and I went to launch, and he was chasing from behind, blindsided me into the sideline, and hmm. just blew me up, and I held on to the ball. Fast forward 10 years later, when I came back to play for Buffalo, one of the first things Bruce said, hey, thanks for holding on to that ball. That counted as a sack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've had fun for 16 minutes. Now let's go after the Patriots here. So they lose 22 to 12, ugly offensive performance, run defense was horrendous. And Doug, this is amazing. The Patriots are set to finish out the season against Buffalo and the Jets. It will be the first meaningless games for the Patriots since 2000. They the the only two times they've missed the layoffs in the last 20 years, they missed it on the last day of the season. So every game for 20 years has meant something. These will be the first two meaningless games since week 17 of 2000. That is absurd. It really is. And it's it just goes to show how uh, spoiled we've been in New England yeah. and how great they've been over the years. I know it's a frustrating year. Um, I know that going to a stadium and watching a game that doesn't mean anything. Although nowadays with the, with the gambling that goes on and our online stuff betting and yep. that there's still that interest. Um, but it is absolutely amazing that they've gone that long without having to play one of these. Um, and it, it, it opens up the door to a lot of questions about who plays and what's the situation and how, how you approach the game um, from both a fan standpoint and a player standpoint. You know how hard it is to be good for even one year. Can you imagine this like this run of success? How unfathomable is it to you as somebody who played? Especially in – oh, it's crazy. Especially yeah. in a salary cap era where there's a rotation that goes on and the where some, some years you just got to unload contracts and start over. And the consistent factor was you had Tom Brady at quarterback – you had yep. Bill Belichick running the defense, and they found a way. I mean, the year that I was with the Pats, we were not a dominant team. We were, we were a mediocre 500 team through most the beginning part of the year, and as the year went, we got better and better, and I, I always attribute it to Tom and taking things on his shoulders and the things that he did, and bang, we become a playoff team. We go a couple of rounds in the playoffs. We get knocked off at Denver, but um, – you know, it, it was it's pretty amazing to see what he's done. I, I'll tell you, it, and I, I said this last week, I think I marvel at the fact that Bill Belichick could bring in guys off the street going into the playoffs because of injuries, have guys yeah. starting in a Super Bowl that he picked up off the street three, four weeks ago, and he's performing and you go on to win a Super Bowl with these guys. And that's it comes down to coaching. It goes straight to the top, though. The way the way the team is run from the top down, from ownership on down, and uh, it's it becomes just a way of life. They they expect to win. Guys that come in that have been journeyman type players find a way to contribute and give their best, and the Patriots get the most out of those guys. And that's why they've done what they've done over the years. You know, um, 
no player would admit this publicly. I wouldn't want to hear this as a fan. But do you think deep down some of these veterans that have played meaningful games for a decade and all the pressure that's been on and all the extra games in the playoffs, is there any kind of sense of relief to just sit back and say, you know what? It's nice to have the pressure off for just a little bit. Um, I think guys that are used to being in the playoffs are angry and frustrated and, and, okay. and, and take that approach. It just really bothers them. And then they go out and they're good. Now to go out and play is, is kind of tough for those guys where the other guys that are fighting for jobs year in and year out that are fighting to earn their keep. They've got game film now. They're yeah. fighting either to keep their job with the Patriots or to get good film and be looked at and picked up during free agency from someone else. But um, I, I, I know that uh, I've seen guys go into that relief mode. Like, it's over. And you're, you lose that first-round playoff game or a game at the end of the year, and all of a sudden your season's over, and it just hits you in the face that, oh, it's over. Yeah. And then two days later, guys like, well, you know what? It's really cool. My wife and I, we're going to be going here. We're going to go chill. And they, they, they throw that switch into vacation mode a little too quick. I've yeah. seen that happen too. You know, I wouldn't start Stidham this week. I know there's a lot of people saying that they would, and I wouldn't. And the reason why is this. If you're going to play Stidham, I think you got to put him in in a situation to be successful. And for me, that's week 17 against the Jets. I don't think playing him against the division champion in the Bills, who's motivated to play for seeding on Monday night in a standalone game, I don't think that that's a real advantageous situation for him. So I would still go with Cam in week 16. And maybe I, you know, Stidham in week 17, I probably can't come up with any rationale to not do it then, but I'd still play Cam this week. I, I was leaning to play Stidham both weeks. Um, okay. I was leaning that way, not thinking of it being a Monday night and the Bills and all that. I'm thinking, okay, let's find out what we got. Let's see what happens here. Um, we obviously can't get to where we want to get doing it the way the Patriots had to do it this year. Let's see if this kid's – and uh, the fact that it's a Monday night is even a bigger test. You know, yeah. Maybe he battles his tail off and it's a it's a it's a dog fight to the end. Maybe maybe he steps up to the challenge of playing on a Monday night and playing against a defense is probably gonna hit him in the mouth a handful of times. You know, it could get ugly, it could get ugly quick. Um, but uh, I think you gotta find out now. And and I wasn't talking that way earlier in the year because I I feel like there is a responsibility to put your best players on the field to win every week, whether it's meaningless or not. And, you know, this this means something to Buffalo, so it's not totally meaningless. Um, so you, you need, you know, there's a responsibility to your fan base, to your players themselves, everybody. You're getting a paycheck. You're playing to win. But also at this point, coaches have to find out because they're, they're going to have to be making some decisions real quick in the offseason about the quarterback position. See, I, I just think it's going to get ugly if Stidham plays. If Cam plays – Look, I still would say they're going to lose. They're not going to be favored. I'd say they're going to lose. But Cam will keep it together enough to at least, you know, have it not be embarrassing. I could very easily see it being 40 to 13 if Stidham plays. And I just, look, what if I, I am a coddler. I, I'm a coddler, and I would make a bad 
So I, I usually am too. Confidence. I usually am too. I, I, I hate putting guys in bad positions. I hate, but you know what? It is the NFL. You are a professional quarterback. We thought you were going to be our starter at one point. Yeah. We, we think, we think you have those tools. Let's find out. And that's the scary. When he came in at the end of one of the games a few weeks ago and he threw a seam route and he threw it on time, on rhythm, uh, kind of a real natural throw and stuff. You know, he didn't have a great, he got sacked a couple times right after that happened. Yeah. But I thought that looked good. That, that, there was a hint of something there that hasn't been going on all year. And if we could find that, it, it would be nice. Maybe, maybe it's put him situationally into the game. Maybe put him in in two minute offense and from the middle of the second quarter on, or, hmm. but I, I don't know. Maybe there's a situational type thing you could I hated that as a quarterback too though I didn't want to be coming in and out I didn't want another quarterback coming in to run a quarterback sneak I like the rhythm of staying in the whole game but maybe you tell them look you're going to have the last eight minutes of the second quarter or you're going to have the no the no huddle drives and let's see what you got Aaron let's get to the uh, overall takeaways here let's get into this game a little a little further overall takeaways number one all right, so, Doug, my main overall takeaway is this, is that Miami out New England, New England, okay? They were the ones that ran the football, 250 yards running. They were the ones that played better situational football. They were better in the red zone. And and they knew it after the game, okay? Kyle Van Noy said this, and he's a former Patriot. He said this game was back and forth, smash mouth football, who's going to break, and they ended up breaking before we did. We knew we weren't going to break, and they just broke. We knew that was going to happen. Like, that is the most telling of quotes I've heard all season, that the Patriots' mystique is completely gone. Teams now know they can punish the Patriots, and they did yesterday. Well, I I'm watching that game, and I'm – you know, I've, I've said this a 100 times. You throw the ball to score points, you score points to win, and neither team can throw the football. Yeah, and it it's smash. It's it's like grinding the clock and playing field position and being up six nothing. Yeah, and what was it nine to seven in the bottom of the eighth going into the, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my god, this is hard to watch. It was neither quarterback, and I've said this all year. I love how hard Cam plays. It makes the run game very difficult to defend with Cam at quarterback and running the zone read stuff and the quarterback run stuff and the package off the bootlegs. And it was the same exact offense Miami was running. Run the yep. football, Tua pulls it, Tua comes on the corner and hits a little flat route, little five-yard pass, a bunch of under routes for, for Cam. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, somebody throw the ball 15 yards down the field. Somebody try to make a play. And I, I get very frustrated with that, but – what ended up happening was New England kicked field goals. Yeah. And when Miami got down there, they scored touchdowns. And that was the difference. Um, you know, the first possession, two or through a bad pick. Um, unforced error, just was getting flustered and threw it. Um, but other than that, they found a way to get it in the end zone. The Patriots just couldn't finish off those drives that they, when they had their opportunity. So I thought it was an evenly played game. And then, yes, at the end, you could feel the momentum. The second, the last eight minutes of the game, you could feel the momentum of Miami just feeling like they had it under control. I mean, my it's embarrassing for the Patriots in the sense that Gasicki didn't play and Parker didn't play, and these are the two best offensive pieces for Miami. And running backs, 
we've never heard of were gouging the Patriots. Salvin Ahmed, I can tell you, I had not heard of until going into this game, and he ran for 120 yards. Well, there's there's a few elite guys. There's 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 a few running backs that are just above everybody else. All the other running backs, they're good. They're really good. They're like, I, and I've I've had that in in our situations where we had guys banged up, and the guy off the bench comes in. And he's just as fast as agile. And you know what? He's not beat up. And he's running yeah. hard on every play and he's grinding. So these kids, I mean, they're they're on an NFL roster for, for a reason. And they made a team when no one expected them to make the team sometimes because of what they showed through a training camp or, or whatever. And uh, you know, that's why Bill, that's why Bill always says he's not going to take a running back in the early rounds. He thinks he can find a running back down the road a little bit in the draft sometimes. And they they step in. It's it's just frustrating from from my standpoint to see a team that couldn't throw the football beat the Patriots. Yeah, true. You know, and it, like you said, it's them doing what the Patriots have been doing all year. You know, the thing I found interesting too is I know you would love this. The Dolphins ran two trick plays yesterday, which were awesome. The fake punt got called back, but what a yes. great throw that was. And that two-point conversion hook and ladder play was one of the coolest plays I've seen in NFL history. Uh, you know, with all the wide receiver screens and tunnel screens that have been called in the NFL over the last handful of years, I, I, after, as soon as I saw, I saw that developing as it happened, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. Why hasn't somebody done that sooner? Where you, you tunnel screens, you're catching the ball, you're trying to get back inside, you get up underneath the block and up in, inside there. And so the whole flow is, and all of a sudden you pitch it to a guy who's going out to the corner. And you could hit that from 70 yards out and hit it running. Do you remember the hook and ladder play from the San Diego Miami playoff game, the Kellen Winslow game, just before the half? Miami run a hook and ladder that it scored uh, with the clock running out at half. It was the, one of the greatest games in NFL history. People look up the highlights of San Diego. Uh, it might have been the longest at the time game ever. Went into double overtime. Mm. Kellen, it's the Kellen Winslow game. Well, Aaron says that his high school team ran that play, which I find hard to believe because your high school offensive coordinator should end up in the NFL if that's the case. <laughs> that was what's the coolest trick play you ever ran? Because you're Mister uh, Trick Play. You know what I loved? Um, I I love the bounce lateral double pass when that first started because everybody would just relax. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're throwing no. a lateral like you throw a wide receiver screen. Okay. Bounce it to him like it's incomplete, but you throw it backwards and it skips and he catches it. And he stands up straight and everybody stops. He pulls up and throws the post for a touchdown. Wow. Uh, that used to work. Now guys are a little more savvy about it. I The one play I loved that we ran in college was uh, kind of the wing back in motion. And I'd hand it to him and he'd do an inside reverse to a wide receiver coming the other way. Mm who then would be like the quarterback running the option with me as the pitch back. Oh, okay. Going back the other way. And we've done the throwback to the quarterback um, and all that stuff. Um, boy, I'm trying to think of Canada. Canada was – we. I did a direct snap to the back mm -hmm. where he ran off tackle and we ran the option with me as the pitch back. But he definitely is going to pitch it to me because I'm throwing the ball down the field. Hmm. I always so, love the fake spike. I always love the fake spike at the end of a game. That, um, it, you know, you catch a lot of 
the problem is, so these things have been done and people, the guys get smarter and smarter as the years go on. So you have to find new ways to trick them. Yeah, fight spike, people relax real quick, bang, you, uh, you know, Dan Marino through the fade. Yeah. Um, what were you saying there? Yeah, fake spike. Oh, I loved, and they don't do it anymore because there's no block anymore for the college field goal. Okay. You jog off the, you forgot the tee. Oh. So the holder jogs off. Hey, 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 I forgot the tee. Runs towards the sideline to go get the tee. Direct snap to the kicker. He throws the pass to the holder going up the sideline for the touchdown. Yeah. The, the, a- the one that's worked at the lower levels is, oh, we got the wrong ball. We had a kicking ball in the game. In high school, we got the wrong. In high school, they flip flop balls, so each team brings their own. Yeah, and no, no, it's the wrong ball. And the center just picks up the ball, turns around, and hands it to the quarterback, and he walks it to the sideline, and then runs down the sideline for a touchdown. <laughs> One of the coolest plays I ever saw, and I won't be able to describe it because I don't remember. It, but it was like four years ago. It was the Bears. It was Monday Night Football against the Eagles, and it was Matt Nagy's first game. Or first season with the Bears. I got to find that play because it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I can't even remember it enough to describe it, but that play was awesome. So on trick plays, I go on that note. Um, that Aaron, let me hear the stats on the rush defense. Okay, Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. Doug, you talk about just how demoralizing yesterday was. Listen to these numbers. You're going to be even more upset. Aaron, let's hear what Phil Perry said. The Dolphins entered the weekend as arguably the league's worst rushing offense. They were last in football with 3.6 yards per carry. They were 27th in the league, picking up just over 95 yards on the ground per game. And yet, the Patriots simply could not get a stop against this Miami rushing offense when they needed it most. They they averaged 95 yards a game rushing, and the Patriots let them get 250. This... uh, Laird, who looks like a fullback, is running on third and eight right up the middle. And uh, Ahmed, who I've never heard of, gets 122. Like, I mean, I look, Jeff Wilson for the 49ers, who I'd never heard of, ran for three touchdowns against this team. Now they get this guy, Ahmed, who's running all over him. The, I thought rush defense and just general toughness was a Patriot staple. And this year, we haven't had it. Well, there were some opt-outs this year on the defensive side of the ball, right? But – yeah, it doesn't it, take talent to play hard and tackle. I, I, I hear that. you. I hear you. It's a mindset. When it comes to that type of football, it becomes a mindset. Uh, I will say this, that with Tua at quarterback, I'm sure yep. their rushing numbers are better because of the things they can do. I'll, I'll say that. And the bottom line is they were shut out for the first half. And they only had, what, seven points going into the fourth quarter. Yes. That's what I've said from the beginning. Running the football keeps you in the football game. So both teams were trying to run the ball. Both teams couldn't throw it, and it, it just pushes the game to the fourth quarter. Now in the fourth quarter, who makes plays to win the game? And that's when Miami made plays. Made the, the, the first play that shocked me that I was like, oh, my God, this is a real football game, was two or through in the middle of the third quarter through an actual true curl route, about a 14-yard curl route, for a completion out of the pocket. I'm like, oh, it's NFL football. They threw a curl route. But, you know, that was their first real drive where they scored a touchdown. And then in the fourth quarter, it became a physical game where they wore down the Patriot defense. As we're talking about, it became a war. It became a battle of, of pounding the ball on each other. And 
uh, Miami was the one that in the fourth quarter, especially midway through, took over. You know, I've been a Cam apologist all year, and I like Cam a lot. And we you talked like about this. I do. Well, Cam a lot. I like Cam Newton a lot. Um, <laughs> we've talked about his lack of accuracy a bunch this year, but yesterday, for some reason, felt different to me. Yeah, he skipped a couple passes and threw a couple wide, but he underthrew Jacoby Myers on the sideline, and Myers actually caught it, but catch and run was limited. He threw a ball behind him. The ball that Jacoby Myers fumbled on, Cam threw it behind him to the point where he had to contort his body, and therefore, you know, it contributes to the fumble. Whereas if he leads him out front, Myers is maybe still running. Um, he overshot Myers in the back of the end zone. On the, you know, Myers had two steps on the guy. Harry on the sideline had a chance at one that Cam threw. Harry could have caught it, but Cam threw it a little high. Like the ball placement issues resonated with me yesterday, maybe more than they have all season. Yeah. It, th- at the NFL level, to be a quarterback, and then we talked, you asked me last week, what is open? Open yeah. is body position. Open is I've got the defender on my inside hip and I'm running an outbreaking route. Bang, put the ball there. Um, a perfect example. I just finished rewatching the Tampa Bay game and Tom Brady took over in that second half. Yeah. And the throws, Tom set his feet and they were hitting guys right on the front number, on the move, running with the ball, running. He threw a back couple of back shoulder down the rails and the one back shoulder ball that uh, Cam tried to throw to Keen. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, he, he found a matchup on a linebacker that he I guess they liked. They, they ran the route, and it's just – it didn't have a chance. It just wasn't going to be – it's not what he does. He, it's, it's just – that is not the strength of his game. He can't do it. And um, he likes to hang on the ball, move and slide, and have a guy finally break wide open and give him the ball. And that – the anticipation – when you release – if and I've said this to you about when I had Eric Molds. Yep. You have your guy. You have your receiver. He's one-on-one and you know it. Okay, I'm going to him. I don't care how the release happens. Okay, he outside releases and he gets on top of the DB. I put it over the top. The DB plays upfield on him and is banging the heck out of my receiver. And he really isn't – his back's turned. So you gun a laser at the back of his head and your receiver reaches over and catches it. There's just there's always a way to feed the post in basketball. And on a fade yeah. route, when a guy's one-on-one, there's always a spot to put the ball. And that has to be the standard for an NFL quarterback. You have to be able to put the ball where you want to put it. Aaron, let's get to who's saying what or what are they saying. Let's. I got something I want to play for Doug on the reaction to this loss. Sometimes people say stupid things. I said, how do I want Patriot games to go? For Cam to play great and they to lose in heartbreak. Yeah, check and it. check. Everything came up, Nick, right you this weekend. Sometimes people say smart things. But it works. I thought Cam was accurate. I thought he made really good decisions. They played to his strengths. Locally, regionally, nationally. Here's what they're saying about your New England Patriots. I'm going to have to get that sounder changed because the whole thing about Cam being accurate and it works, I guess, no longer applies. So I'm going to have to. He had a great completion percentage for a long time. He was 17 of 29, I think, for 209. Or 17 of 27. Every time he got zoned, he's throwing the under route. Zone, under route. First third down, 
Third and 12, wide receiver screen for nothing, punt. Next third down, third and nine, wide receiver screen. I mean, the second one there was a blitz on, so maybe it's an adjustment and you uh, check the things versus blitz versus own blitz, especially a wide receiver screen isn't bad. But, you know, it's third and 12. I got an upfield route with a deep in cut and a corner route over here and a guy running the comeback on the outside or something, you know, something you're reading the full field and Cam's throwing the under and dumping it to the back and hitting, the, and, you know, getting five yards and punting. I'll fight you on that, not on the third and 12, but I'll fight you on it marginally in that we watched Tom Brady for 20 years just, quote, take what the defense is giving you and dump off City. And Cam did that yesterday pretty yeah. effectively, getting the ball to White in space, getting the ball to, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, mainly James White in space. No, you don't want to force, like third and long, you don't want to force the ball up the field. If they play zone, they play zone, and you hit the dump off, and maybe somebody hits a gap and gets the first down. But there's just no threat of – Put, sticking it up the seam or sticking it in there on the in route or it just it, it's so frustrating and he's made some throws he has made some throws this year and I yeah. hate I hate criticizing quarterbacks because I know how hard the game is and I know how hard Cam plays um, but you know I said it early on the arm just doesn't look right Tom jo- or uh, Tom Ted Johnson, who I believe is your former teammate with the Patriots, three-time Super Bowl champion. He's on NBC Sports Boston's post-game coverage of the Pats. Aaron, here's what he said yesterday. We're here right now because of the work they didn't do many, many months ago. I mean, if you really want to be honest about it, is, is that this this season was determined, you know, back in, in the summer. I mean, when you didn't go out and, you know, you didn't get a, a quarterback early in the free agent process, you brought in a guy, a Cam Newton, late to the party, um, and it, it, you were playing catch-up ever since. And that's really what was the problem with this team from the get-go. All right, I'm, I agree with him. I've given the Patriots a pass on this season, and the reason why I think is because I just figured we had to pay for all the success in the last 20 years, so we might as well have one down year. But the more I think about it, the more frustrated I get. This team, from a team-building standpoint, didn't really help itself. They could have drafted differently. They could have signed a quarterback early. They left themselves behind the eight ball. They didn't sign receivers to help. I Look, the Bengals had a plan, and Joe Burrow got hurt. The Cowboys had a plan, and Dak Prescott got hurt. I can't fault teams for guys that get injured. The Patriots never really felt like they had a plan. Yeah, it um... – it's frustrating, and I'm, I, I laugh or I, I hear in my head, my son-in-law has talked about the, the, the receivers that were passed up to get Harry. Yeah. Right? The, the receivers that uh, the Patriots could have had. Um, and I, I always shake my head at I, – I, I get the feeling that Bill and maybe Josh McDaniel as well feel like as long as they have decent receivers – that they're going to be okay. And they've, it's always been the case with Tom Brady, at quarterback. And then this year to go with this group of receivers and then get your quarterback late. And then with COVID, they can't even work together as much as they probably wanted to early. You know, as soon as you're signed, yeah. you're getting together with guys and you're working. You, they could, that part of it, that part of the equation was gone. And I, I didn't like learning this offense when I had to, I, I still don't think I learned that offense that year. That I learned it to the point that I was going to be comfortable. Um, of course, I didn't get playing time with it either, and I wasn't on the field every week. But uh, 
it's it's tough and that's part of the game you know i don't know how early they could have signed someone differently um or if they could have signed cam sooner but even after the fact the fact that you don't have all that offseason work together and you don't have that time in a regular training camp um when you have a new quarterback coming to a system it's like learning a new language and it, it it's very difficult uh something i had to do a lot in my career bouncing from team to team and i hated it every time i had to do it i just didn't like how the pats i just don't feel like they gave themselves a real chance if they if they knew brady was leaving in march they could have prepared to draft a quarterback and go that route. Or if they were going to play Stidham, which we thought all along, they could have drafted him weapons. They didn't set up whoever the quarterback was to have. They either they didn't take the quarterback and they didn't set up the quarterback with weapons. So this was predictable. I think the coaching staff did, did a great job getting a lot out of this team. But from a team building standpoint, I don't think they did a great job. Oh, I agree 100% with that statement about they got the most out of this team as far as finding a way to move the football and doing the things they did. I wonder, did, did they really expect Tom to leave? Were they you gotta be, on him? You got to be prepared for that. From all accounts, it sounds like Bill was the one who was done with Tom. And that, okay. so therefore Bill would have had a year to plan for this. And they didn't look, I'm not saying they're great options, but they could have signed cam early. They could have signed Andy Dalton early. They could have signed Jameis Winston early. They could, they could have done any of those things early or they could have drafted a quarterback and instead they traded down to take a division two safety in the first round. So, I mean, there were things on the table there that they didn't do. Um, Aaron, we got about 15 minutes available to us because we are basically allowed to record for an hour on this platform. So um, give me the notable sounder. It might be big. It might not be, but it caught our attention. One big note from the game. All right. Stefan Gilmore is not going to play in the last two games of the regular season. We now know why uh, Ian Rappaport has the um, insight on that from NFL Network. Aaron, let's hear what Rappaport says. Yeah, Stephon Gilmore is officially out for the season. Sources say he has a, par- a partially torn quad. He's going to have surgery to repair it tomorrow. Now, as far as his rehab and when he's going to be back, uh, it is going to be a matter of months, not weeks. But from my understanding – he should be ready well in time to take part in the off-season conditioning program for the Patriots. And Okay, so Rappaport says partially torn quad. First off, I'm just very happy for the player that that's, quote, all it is. Because when you saw it live, you thought, okay, this is a torn ACL, and he's going to miss all of next season also. So I'm happy for, the, for Gilmore that he's going to be able to be back next season. This is good for the Pats on two fronts. One, if Gilmore plays next year in New England, he's going to be available to them and be good. He's in the final year of his contract. And if they want to trade him, he's their best trade chip going into the draft, I would say. And I would consider trading him to try to get something back if they're not going to be all that competitive next year. So this is good on all fronts, I guess, that that's, quote, all it was. Yeah, if you're going to get after – well, if you get after it and get a quarterback and get a situation that you think you can be competitive, you need a Gilmore at corner. You need yeah. – one. I, you know, I talk about having a dynamic one wide receiver that can dictate coverage. Well, on the flip side of that, on the back end, that one shut down corner is indispensable in defense. That can that can free you up to do a lot of other things. And he's been that guy for them. I still think I still go back to points scored. And, you know, I know they ran the I know Miami ran the ball well, but um, the defense 
found a way to, to, to pull it together for the most part and keep them in games if they could have scored points on offense. So I, I, I do I, – I love having Gilmore at one of the corners, and I think uh, you want to do everything you can to keep him and, and have him around. And for all intents and purposes, he should be 100% healthy. I'm See, I'm looking at it differently. I think – if see, we're going to get into the offseason portion of this, and everybody's going to talk about every single quarterback in the world if they can be a fit for the Patriots. So far in the last week, Carson Wentz might be a Patriot. Marcus Mariota might be a Patriot. Ryan Fitzpatrick might be a Patriot. Everybody's a Patriot. I think the Patriots should just draft a quarterback, and if they're going to draft a quarterback and then use Cam or a stopgap guy – I don't see them being all that competitive. I'd trade Gilmore and try to get a second or a third round pick for him at this point. If you were to trade for a Wentz or a Matthew Stafford or a veteran option, I would say that you're playing to win, and then I would keep Gilmore. Yeah, that and that's the route that I I can't imagine. We talked about the streak that the Patriots had making the playoffs. Yeah, it doesn't just happen. You don't you don't throw away a season ever in my mind. And I know that, you know, salary cap reasons wise, you dump players at one point and then you're just kind of rebuilding and getting it going. But, you know, their, their expectation and all the fans expectation going into next year is going to be, let's be a playoff team and let's make a run at this again and let's get it back. And that's got to be your mentality when you're, when you're a GM or a head coach, you're not like, there's guys, this is going to be their last season. It's, or, you know, I know that's not the most important thing in the world for everybody else, but for, from a player standpoint, every year is precious, and I want to make a run of this. I don't want to be part of a rebuilding, you know, four and twelve season because we're, you know, messing around with. Oh, we should unload this guy or that guy. You know, I understand completely what you're saying. I just think that this team is so devoid of talent in so many areas that I don't think. Look, this year. I think they tried to be competitive. They could have done things differently in free agency like we just talked about. They tried to be competitive, and they're just not good enough to be. And next year, I think, might look worse. The opt-out guys might not be back. David Andrews and Joe Tooney can be free agents on the offensive line. Uh, McCourty, he could retire. Edelman could retire. Like This team might look a lot worse next year. But then again, you might have some young stud that's pot that comes along. That, that I agree. I mean, I know what you're saying, and you know it, it doesn't look encouraging. But you, as a quarter, like let me let me just throw this at you: If Tom Brady were their quarterback, would you be saying this? It, no. If Tom Brady were their quarterback, I would say that they need to extract every ounce of winning out of him they can, and every year is precious, so they better get him some darn good weapons because. He's not going to have forever, so there is no long play with Tom Brady. Whoever is your quarterback expects those weapons. Whoever is going to be your quarterback expects to have an opportunity. Whoever is your middle linebacker expects to have a guy next to him that is NFL caliber, and if he has a great year, can be a Pro Bowl guy. And that's the attitude that the players – you know, there's, there's no throwaway season in a player's mind ever. And I'm Aaron, sure on opening day, everybody everybody's thinking Super Bowl. Aaron, let's wrap up the podcast with this makes me want to drink because I don't know that I've ever truly ranted on this podcast. I'm going to need about 60 seconds to just go <laughs> off here because not only does this make me want to drink, it makes me want to just take a six-pack to the face. Let's go, Aaron. The weekend is over. I thought it was time to stop drinking. I'm kind of beat. Yeah. yeah. Thank God I'm exhausted. Uh, but this makes me want to drink. I just can't. I need a drink. Give me a drink. All right. 
Doug, I, I am so mad at the Patriots coaching staff. And, you know, heaven for me to criticize Bill Belichick, but that's what I'm going to do because we're among friends here. A minute, four, <laughs> a minute 14 left in the game yesterday. Fourth down and three. Patriots are down 10. Take the damn points and kick the field goal. Instead, the Pats go for it with Cam. He gets sacked and the game is over. If Folk kicks the field goal, they're down 22 to 15. They have two timeouts left. I totally understand that getting the onside kick is difficult these days, but you were going to need one anyways, no matter what you did. So take the points, be down seven, kick the onside kick, and see what happens. Because I, if you do what if you do my plan, you have a chance to win. If you do what they did, you have zero chance to win, and that is what happened. Thank I you. agree with you hundred percent on that. I was I was always a big ad, advocate of when you were down by ten that when you got in a comfortable field goal range and could kick the field goal before the two minute and you had to deal with, you knew you were going to be in an onside kick situation at some point to go ahead and do it. Like there, there are plenty of times where you can complete a pass. There's 30 seconds on the clock, especially and go line up and kick the field goal now because we can get an onside yep. kick and throw a hail Mary. You're right. You extend the game. You put yourself in a position to continue, you know, to continue to give yourself a chance and still be in the game. And that definitely would have done it. I mean, the people who are defending this decision say, well, the Pats were on the 23. They'll never get that close again, so they might as well go for the touchdown. I don't think that way. The onside kick, like if you recover the onside kick, you're going to get it at like your own 45. We're only asking you to go 55 yards for the touchdown. We're not asking you to go 97 yards. Here's my point. To kick a field goal, to have an opportunity to kick a field goal at the end of a game situation, you have to get to the 40-yard line to have a 57-yard attempt. Yep. All right? To have an opportunity to score a touchdown, and we're talking about desperation situations here, right? You're down two scores yep. two minutes ago, a minute to go. So in order to have an opportunity to score a touchdown, you have to get to your own 40 because now you can reach the end zone with a Hail Mary for most quarterbacks. True. Good point. Right? So kick the field goal, then go for the onside kick. And you can, if you recover the onside kick, you can line up and throw a Hail Mary from there. And that's, you know, at least extending the game and getting yourself – now, you prefer to have enough time to get it close and take a real shot at the end zone and all that and drive it down. But, uh, you know, that's – the way I've approached it, you know, as soon as that clock started getting in a situation where, especially if we were out of timeouts, where if we get tackled in bounds, we're only going to get a player to, I'd stop right then and there. You're out at the 30 yard, kick the 47 yarder. I don't care. Let's try to make this so we can get an onside kick and throw a couple balls for the end zone. Well, the, the onside kick is hard to get now. The rules have been changed. So the success rate is like 6%, but the success rate became 0%. When Cam got sacked That's yesterday. Right. So I, I completely disagreed with that call. I've always been a fan like you of kick the field goal first and not enough teams do it. Yeah. It, it all depends. I mean, if you're moving the ball and you're feeling and you're getting chunks at a time and you have that feeling you're getting in the they, they didn't get in the end zone the whole game. Yeah. Right. Didn't get in the end zone the whole game. Every time they got down there, they got stopped. So kick the field goal and maybe you got a better shot of the Hail Mary than you do in red zone. Who knows? All right. Well, that's a good point to end at for today. Patriots are six and eight. They will be back in action next Monday night to take on the Bills. So 
This will be our only podcast of the week. So well, we usually do two. We're doing one here for the holiday special. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed the uh, the longer version of Believe in Patriots. We will be back sometime after the Buffalo game. And we'll see what happens. Who started at quarterback? How did it go? What were the Pats like on their last national te- last nationally televised game of the year? And did Josh Allen look like the MVP? Because that's what he's looked like for a while. And Doug can claim victory no matter who wins since he played for both teams. So <laughs> I, can, I can play the fence all week long. I tell you, I've reconnected a little bit with some of the Buffalo fans. It's been fun. Um, but you know where my heart is. My heart's always been in, in the Boston area, and I've been there my whole life. But Buffalo was a big part of my NFL career. Well, Doug, we wish you and yours a very happy holiday. Aaron Wells, our producer, we wish you a happy holiday as well. I'm Brady. You can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady, and we'll be back next week. Until then, go Pats. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.